Hello, and welcome back to Now Screaming, episode 89. I'm Evan Culbertson. And I'm Liz Smart. And we're watching all the horror movies currently available for streaming on the internet. So you don't have to. This week, we're watching Frank Henenlotter's 1988 horror comedy, Brain Damage, which comes to us from Shudder. Yep. This is our second time watching this in, like, what would you say, six months? Nine months? It was early in the pandemic we watched this. Yeah, it was on Joe Bob's Last Drive-In Show, mm-hmm. also on Shudder. This is a wacky movie, folks. It is wacky. I will be honest, I'll start right off the bat, because I think we t- tend to do, like, first thoughts here. I preferred watching this on Last Drive-In to watching it this past time. I would agree. I was, like, sort of watching it while I was baking... It was that early in the pandemic baking time that we all had. So I was baking cookies, and I was sort of half-watching, and I was enjoying Joe Bob and Darcy the Mail Girl's witty banter about this movie, and I think it made me really enjoy this movie, and I did not have that experience this time. When you sit down and you take and, like, notes watch it. and yeah. focus? No, it did not have the same um, fun vibes I was hoping for. Yeah, I would compare, in terms of setting the stage, I would compare this to films like reanimator or from from beyond also by Stuart gordon mm-hmm. or brian usna's society where it's it's a horror movie for sure but also it's just a showcase for some really crazy effects yeah You're just gonna it's see some, goofy too some nutty stuff i think that like this is kind of a little bit of like a bargain bin reanimator because i said some shit about reanimator when we watched it on the podcast four years ago and i take it all back because i have nothing but fond feelings about reanimator now um and I think Reanimator is like as as kind of gory and like eighties like soupy. I don't know how to describe like soupy's a good word. Soupy. I don't know why soupy really feels correct, but that's what it feels like. There's a lot of blue soup in this movie. Yeah, this feels like so much sillier to me. I think it's I think it's aware of its silliness. Sure. This is a silly movie. I th- here's the problem. I think that it's both aware of the silliness. And that part, and those parts are silly. And then the parts that they're actually trying to be serious are also silly. Hmm. And I think that's the core kind of like the silly parts that are supposed to be silly are fun. The silly parts that aren't supposed to be silly are like, eh. well, this does have its leg in another camp that I want to talk about, which is something that's near and dear to my heart, which is the grimy seventies and eighties New York pre gentrification. Yeah, when Times Square was full of porno theaters and yeah. drug addicts. <laughs> Like, Taxi Driver, Larry Cohen, Bill Lustig, Abel Ferrara. Like, I live for nasty 70s and 80s New York. And mm-hmm. this also is like a glimpse into that. It is, for sure. Think about like the scenes on the subway are just, like, disgusting. Absolutely. I love movies like that. This, is, this isn't this is really a movie about that, though it is a, an addiction metaphor. It is a big old addiction metaphor. So part of that fits in here, but it's also about an alien that injects psychedelic fluid into your brain and makes you trip mm-hmm. rather than, you know, being strung out on heroin or something unpleasant. Yeah, or cocaine, uh, I think, was one of the big metaphors. Yeah, this is this is about uh, an alien drug that makes you bounce off the walls and yep. not And not remember yeah. what, you're, what you've done the night before, kind of that vibe. Would you recommend this movie to people, though? Like a background movie. Kind of like what I said before of, like, if you're just trying to kind of, like knock off fun 80s movies and you want to kind of clean your house while you do it like totally but don't like sit down and try to have a serious or even really a very fun time because i think that's what that's that is i wasn't expecting something serious i was expecting more fun and i had this in my head i really had a lot of fondness for the main character and his girlfriend and his brother like in my mind they were really like 
well-formed characters, and that's just not true. So, like, whatever experience you can have to kind of take this in little by little, not necessarily, like, sit down and have a real rollicking good time with it. I think I like this movie more than you, but I don't disagree at all with the context in which you're recommending it. Mm-hmm. I also think it's not a movie to be... Uh, Frankly, it's not a movie to sit down and take notes about like we did for this podcast. No. that's It's really not meant very to be few. scrutinized in that way. No. But I would recommend it. I think it's fun. I think it's it's pretty nasty. So It is nasty. Yeah. You have to go in, go in expecting some nastiness. But yeah, let's talk about it. I'd love to. So it starts in media res with the Ackermans who are frantically looking for Elmer. <laughs> who is unseen yeah but he, he was in the bathtub he was in the bathtub in the water um and they are tearing their house apart sort of implying that he is small yeah you know because they're like uprooting the rugs and they're throwing you know dishes out of the kitchen tearing the books off the shelves yeah like he could be snuggled up somewhere really small uh they're frantically just destroying their house and then they end up convulsing and foaming at the mouth when Drugs. they can't find elmer then we have our protagonist, who is Brian, who is not feeling so well. There's a plot where there's with his brother, like you said, and the girlfriend wants to go to a concert. And over the course of this film, as Brian gets sucked into the degeneracy that he does, the girlfriend and the brother get together. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, he's... Again, it's, it's the drug addiction metaphor that if you... Even mentioning it is putting too fine a point on it, but, like, it's driving people away, right, in, yep. in unpleasant ways. Yeah, and he's he's doing violent things, and he's doing, you know, he's, he's being um, absent and yeah. neglectful of his, you know, family and friends. And so it's just, it's, the, the drug metaphor is not subtle. It's extremely, we see... Um, what he sees when it's when he's under Aylmer's influence, and it's, it's psychedelic. It's very like colors, LSD, you know, like so. It's it's really not subtle at all. As he's sick, we we have this sequence that is, I think, we're supposed to think a dream in which the his room fills up with blue water. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really well shot sequence. I actually think all of the surreal elements of this film work really well. I agree. They convey the sort of like psychedelic, and they're all really original looking. Major props for that. I think that all, all of that really works. Mm-hmm. He wakes up, he's got this blood in the back of his head, and there's a little blue dildo worm. <laughs> Would you call him blue? I guess he's like a really dark blue. He's like black. He's blue. He's like a, it's, he's a, he's a really creepy, ugly worm. He's bumpy and like, yeah. he's gross. It's not like a well, nice, smooth worm. Like he a also, gross worm. He has a face. This is, I actually, this is not about this past time I watched it, because I just, I have to say this, it's so unbelievably funny, and it's a, such a, I have a fun, this is why I have a fond memory of this movie from watching it the first time, is that you, have you seen this movie before Last no. Drive-In? No. Okay, well then I had been off doing something, maybe I was like out of the apartment or something, and you were like, wait, Liz, stop, listen to his, he's about to speak, listen to his voice. Because <laughs> I guess it's so, I, I must have like gone to hear yeah. him the first time but because i was you know i think when you watch this you expect that he's gonna have like i don't know a little evil voice or like a scary voice but no he has this really like polite dignified <laughs> dignified not british but that kind of like mid-atlantic like a pronounced american accent Pro- yeah 
And so just the surreal idea of like watching this movie and there's this horrifying, ugly black worm. But it's he blue. Has, it's you keep saying it's a hundred. He's very blue. dark. It's not blue like the water though, or the thing he injects onto the back of his head. He's very dark. This is not up for dispute. He's blue though. Anyway, he's not black. He's a scary little worm, but he has little blue eyes and a mouth, and he talks very distinguished, and it's so funny. The voice of of Elmer, who, by the way, we should say is A-Y-L-M-E-R, yeah. as explained later in the film, is horror host John Zacherly, or Zacherly, who was like a famous horror host, like Joe Bob Briggs, mm-hmm. like Elvira or Vampira, from like the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a piece of horror history coming to voice this Mm-hmm. This character, which is fun. That is very fun. But yeah, he's got like a radio voice. He's got like a like an old school broadcaster voice mm-hmm. where it's just, you're right. It's not what you expect to come out of this freaky little thing. No. But I do love it. I actually did write this down. I do love it in the, in the, in the terms of this drug metaphor. Um, again, it's really not um, subtle. It's very, very heavy handed, this drug metaphor. And I kind of thought that, like, the really easy way to do the drug metaphor would be kind of that, like, after-school special, like, drugs, they're scary. He's going to have a scary little angry drug voice that's like, ew, take me and do drugs. But actually, like, this monster having this very, like, polite, distinguished voice kind of makes the drug metaphor, like, actually even more accurate and sadder because drugs aren't actually like that, right? They're not, like little evil, like, hey, come on and do weed. You know, it's, it's like things that you can just This is not a movie about weed, by the way. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's, again, it's that after school special thing where like all the people who are going to come to you about drugs are going to be like scary and evil. Whereas most of the time, the way people fall into drugs is just like, it's very normally like just life. You know what I mean? Are you saying you expected this fucked up horror comedy to be like an after school special? Uh, not after school special in that way, but in the way of like drugs equal bad and evil. You know what I mean? Sure. I think this movie is more complex than that. As heavy handed as it is. That's what I'm saying is that because they, the easy route would be to make it just that make him just scary. But because he is friendly and because he is appealing in, in one small way in his voice it makes more sense. That's, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. I think that in a lot of media, drugs are represented a certain way, and this is more accurate is what I'm saying. I do want to talk about what happens. So Elmer's hungry. He says, you know, put me on your back and, and we'll go and we'll eat. The thing that he does is he opens his mouth and he's got a thousand teeth. Mm-hmm. And this like wire looking thing ribbons. comes out of his throat and goes into the hole. It penetrates the hole on the back of Brian's head. And it, like, injects a blue liquid onto his brain, which makes his brain spark. Mm -hmm. And then, from there on out, Brian is tripping balls. And they go out onto... In in the first night, they go and Brian's running around a junkyard. And just, like, looking at the colors. Jumping up and down, yeah. Just so excited. Again, tripping. And the security guard comes up and is like, hey, what are you doing? And... Then Elmer pops out and eats his brain. Yeah. Jumps out. Yeah, latches onto the, the front of his head. So that's the scheme. That's what happens in this movie is that Brian is a vessel for Elmer to just make trip and then take him places where he can eat brains. Yeah. I do think the the penetration is both phallic and like a heroin needle. Yes. Like it does feel like it's operating on both levels. Well, yes, because it gets very phallic later. The the kind of first thing with the very small kind of little syringe aspect mm-hmm. is very, you're right, very heroin. Do you want to talk about that later, Kill? Yes. Or do you want to walk through the plot to get there? No, I mean, I don't think the plot is really that 
walkable. No. It's just literally like what exactly what you that think. That keeps happening. He goes yeah, somewhere drugs else are bad. and then he gets high and then he, uh, And then something bad happens. And then they have a fight over whether like once he realizes what's happening, he's like, No, I'm not going to do this anymore. And the Ackermans come back and try to get him back and then he says no because he needs Aylmer and et cetera, et cetera. We'll talk about the third act later, but like I agree yeah. that I don't think this is a plot you walk through. No, no, no. Talk about that that phallic moment later, though. Well, he does the other thing you do when you go on drugs, and he goes to like a club to yep. dance around, and like hear, a punk club, yeah, and hear the music and have a good time. And there's a a lady there. Do you think she's a sex worker? Or do you think she just like wants to have a good time? Can't tell. She goes up to him, and she can tell that he's having a good time, and she wants to have a good time with him. So they go outside, and she's planning on giving him a blowjob. And Aylmer is in his pants. Aylmer's just, like, always crawling around somewhere. He doesn't stay on the back of his neck. Sometimes he's on his side. And in this situation, he's in the front of his pants. So when she opens up his pants, Aylmer jumps out and goes down her throat. But, like, stays in... Brian's pants, so that it's very much the the visual is very much of a blowjob, but of a really fucked up blowjob. Um, while Elmer eats her brains, while Elmer eats her brains through, I guess her mouth, whatever. People were very angry about this. I don't know if you do you know this. People walked off the set. People were horrified. That's insane. It's people were very very angry, and I will say to the to their the defense, uh, it's an insane visual. It's graphic as hell. Like, it'd be one thing if, in terms of shooting it, if we know what's happening, right? We're like, yeah. oh my God, she's going to give him a job, and we're going to pop out. We've seen horror movies. They could have done it from many different angles to kind of show <laughs> what it looked like. And instead, they chose possibly the most pornographic yeah. shot one could possibly choose. Which I think, to, to in defense of Frank Hennenlauter, I think is in the <laughs> spirit of the fucked up New Agreed. York 70s movies we're talking Agreed. about. Agreed. Um, I'm just saying that I think I I understand where people were coming from of like, I don't want to be involved in this. This is like basically porn. What the fuck? You know? Well, I understand seeing this movie in a theater and being like, it is it is probably the most upsetting thing that happens in this movie. Yeah. There's a scene where um, Brian's at dinner and there are meatballs, spaghetti and meatballs on his plate and they turn into little look brains. like brains yeah. to him. Uh, that's pretty fucking that's gross That's upsetting too. in a different way though. People aren't dying. The blowjob thing... If you've signed up for this movie and you're working on this movie, I don't understand walking off set in the middle of it. Like, I don't know. That's kind of what this movie is. It is the most extreme thing that this movie is, but on the spectrum, it's not like out of the realm of understanding. I don't know. I, I understand I know, seeing yeah. this in a theater, even as a critic, and being like, fuck you. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot. But working on it, like, I don't know. I would have loved to work on this movie. Sure, but that's you and you live in 2020. I guess. You think 1988 was that different for... Well, I think probably it's like... For the people making these movies. I don't think, you know, the people who'd read the script didn't walk off set. It's the sound guys, you know? It's like people who who were hired for a day on the job who were just like, here, I'm going to come in and get my paycheck. And then they were like, what the fuck am I involved in? Yeah. It's not people who were necessarily hired for being like the creatives who were like invested in the project. These are just people who are just like, wait, what the fuck? And they just, they can't deal with it. Fair enough. You know, they're not horror fans, necessarily. True. Not everybody who works on a horror movie is a horror fan. You're right, you're right. After this horrifying blowjob thing, Brian has blood in his underwear and he doesn't know why. And I think this is when Mr. Ackerman confronts him in an alley. Yes, we get our lore dump. Gives a huge lore dump about Aylmer being Old English that means the awe-inspiring famous one. And how Aylmer was in the Byzantine Empire, and then he went to France, and then he went to Spain, and then he was in... 
Africa, and then he went to Berlin, and then Mr. Ackerman paid for him, and then claims to like be able to control him now. The gist of this lore is that if you feed him human brains, he's going to get too strong. But the Ackermans have been feeding him like cow brains mm-hmm. and stuff from the butcher in order to keep him alive, but keep, keep alive him... and continue getting their fix. Yeah, you know of his drug, but without having him like fully take over. They fight over who Elmer belongs to, and eventually, at this point, Brian is just horrified at this whole situation. Confronts Elmer in like a public bathroom mm-hmm. and is like, "I'm not going to kill people anymore." And Elmer's like, I'll make you do whatever I want. You don't have control anymore. <coughs> Drug metaphor. <laughs> they have a long, drawn-out stalemate where Brian's like, I'm not going to do this. And Elmer's just like watching him suffer in withdrawals. Mm-hmm. He eventually sings a song called Elmer's Tune, which was recorded by the Andrews sisters and Glenn Miller. Like, it's a real old-timey jazz standard. Wild. It's very bizarre. Is this, is this the ear-ripping scene? Is that when he's going through withdrawal? Yes, that is. Because I you actually talk about that. It's it's like not as bad as the blowjob scene, but it's also horrifying. But I actually really like it. Um, mostly just because it's so visceral, and it is the one thing I also really remember from watching it the first time. That there's like something in his ear. There's like viscera in his ear, um, and he starts like pulling at it, and he eventually starts to like pull out. I guess his brain? Is that what we're sort of... Yeah. It's, like, long. Like, the idea of if you uncoiled all the little coils of your brain, he's, like, pulling it out of his ear. I did forget to mention this earlier in the fucked up stuff. This is a pretty... Yeah, it's fucked up. scene. And so he's pulling it and pulling it. It's just horrifying, like, to watch. Because you're, like... In terms of effects, it's a great effect. And in terms of, like, just the grossness and the viscera, it's disgusting. And then he pulls too hard and his ear comes out. Like, comes off, fully falls onto the floor, and then there is a very, (laughs) very long shot where there is just blood pouring out of the hole in his head, and he's just going, ah, like, for so much longer. You can tell the actor is like, how do I keep making this noise? And, like, sticks his tongue out. It's just, it's so funny. While the Nightmare on Elm Street like bed scene is pouring out of his head. Like it's yes, just... it's, it's that much blood. It's not a trickle. It's not like a little spurt. Like when you see people kind of get their veins nicked sometimes it is gushing. Yeah. The rest of this movie is, I mean, it's showing off the kind of weirdo New York that, like I said, that like Frank Cannon Lauder and people like Larry Cohen have an affection for. There's like comically buff bodybuilders in showers mm-hmm. who, you know, Brian's like carrying Elmer around too. There's like weird punks talking about like how they don't give a shit about nuclear war. Like it's very much a product of its time. We're not going to talk about any of that stuff, but like there's another Hen and Lauder uh, reference. Yeah, the basket case, the basket guy. case um, cameo. Yeah, um, this world, like the New York of this movie, is very realized because there's all these little details of just the weird people of New York, uh-huh. which is still true even though it's gentrified now. Like New York's just a fucking weird place. Eventually, he decides that he has to get away. He doesn't care that his uh, girlfriend and brother are sleeping together. He <laughs> confronts them in bed and is like, I'm not I have in control. Bigger problems. Like, I, like somebody's going to die. I don't want it to be you. His girlfriend tries to follow him. She eventually dies because she, like, believes in Brian. Yeah. She's like, no, I need to be with you. Like, you're talking crazy. I can help you. 
they're on the subway together. This is why I wrote down that I was like, I remember her being so much more interesting and liking her, and I think she's terrible now. Yeah. Her acting is terrible. She has this kind of like, this is when it feels the most like a student film to me, because she is, she looks like a like a real like, college student. Um, like, she's very, like, a regular-looking girl, and I appreciated that, but she's a horrible actress. So it's literally like they pulled someone off the street, and then he makes out with her on the subway and, like, does the same thing that oh. Elmer did, but through her mouth. Yeah. Uh, and he just leaves her dead body on the subway and... Also very gritty New York. Everyone's That's New York, like, baby. Yeah. Dead bodies on the subway. You know. Forget about it. <laughs> he decides he's going to kill himself. He goes, I think, back to his apartment, and he blows a hole in his brain. <laughs> he shoots his head off, except instead of dying, there's like a strobing white light where his head used to be. Very unpleasant to watch. Uh I, that's a fair warning. It's the most intense strobing effect I've seen in a movie in yeah, a while. Yeah, I don't normally have like a reaction to that, but I had to look away and kind of, it was making my head hurt. Yeah, no, I fully agree. It's it's really, really intense. Um, so, epilepsy warning. Mm-hmm. A little too late, probably, because we recommended this at the top. Did we? I don't know that I did. Uh, the police rush in, he's got this strobing white light in his head, and that's the end of the movie. Uh-huh. Very uh, much on a cliffhanger. What's Elmer up to next? Who knows? He's probably still alive. He's lived for hundreds of years. Thousands, in fact, I think is the implication. True, true. Business um, number. Also that he's an uh, alien. So, like, can he even be killed? He can be killed with human weapons? We yeah. don't know. I don't know. Nuclear on him. That's brain damage. It's bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a weird, offbeat movie. And I agree with you that, like, it's not... Every moment of it is not entertaining. No. But it's got this energy that I... I think this is the affection I have for it that you don't share, is that something about its, like, weirdo offbeat energy just feels so original to me, and I'm just like... It is very original. I'm interested in its, like, strange machinations, even though... Well, that's sort of why I'm recommending it in terms of, like... I'm not not recommending it. I'm just saying don't sit down and watch every second, because it just is not a movie that lends itself to that. Right. It's I also fun I like, to have on. Just for example, like a movie like this doesn't need an extended lore dump that we get. Like no. it, it feels out of place. Like, but is that a bad thing? Kind of, well, but not really. This is the thing. I think it's about <laughs> it is that if this was going to be a good movie, I think you would need a better actor as a main character. I think you would need like some touch ups to the plot. I would not change a thing about Elmer. Yes, but this is what I'm saying is that, like, it doesn't actually need to be that. Brian doesn't really need to be a very good actor to have fun with this movie. Right. You know? Like, that's sort of just what I'm saying is that, like, none of it has to really be improved to be a good time. It's just that it's not going to be a good time for everyone, just depending on your various tastes. If you like 80s schlock, this is this yes, is for you. you'll probably like it. I recommend watching it over your kitchen counter while baking or cleaning your house. Definitely. Do you want to hear some trivia? I'd love to. I already gave you, I already sprinkled a little trivia on you before, but I have a couple others. Um, one is that there is, sometimes Elmer has like a kind of gurgling that he does, like very monster gurgling while he's like in the bathtub or while he's like crawling up someone's back or something. Um, the actor who plays Brian, uh, his stomach really did gurgle like a lot because he was always drinking coffee. And at one point it was gurgling so loudly that Hen and Lauder was like, get in a recording studio uh, get in the booth and record some of those gurgles and we'll use them in the movie. So anytime you hear Elmer gurgling, it is really that actor's stomach gurgles, coffee gurgles. Horrifying. I love it. I think it's really funny. That's DIY filmmaking. It baby. really is. I love it. There's something really DIY about this movie. Hen and Water was just so like, 
I don't know. He he has such a vision and he he's so involved in all of it. It's really great. The other thing I think is interesting and it sort of led me down a rabbit hole that I enjoyed was this is the kind of shit that I live for is set dressing. Mm-hmm. And at one point uh, you can see the book Cujo um, in Brian's apartment. And for those of you who know Stephen King, I guess well enough, um, Cujo is one of the books he cannot remember writing. Um, I thought it was actually from cocaine. I learned since then it's actually that was when he was drunk for. Oh, um, so Cujo's when he was drunk for, and Tommyknockers is actually the one that he was so um, high on cocaine that he would just have nosebleeds just constantly as he was writing. And he hates that book. He hates both of the books now. He's like, I don't like them because I don't remember writing them. Um, so it was just another fun little Easter egg of uh, drug addiction. Addiction. Because Hen-, Hen and Lauder also had a cocaine addiction. That's why he wrote this movie. Interesting. Yeah. So like... Was is... he over it at this point or no? I think so. I think you'd have to be to like have this mindset. Um I actually guess not. You could be like to. in it. No, I think he was, he had gotten over it and he was like, I want to make this movie now. So this is a very, I will say that it's a very personal. Um, and I think that comes across. It also feels like a Coke movie. So it does. Although I think that Elmer has like Coke and LSD and heroin. It's all kind of mushed up together into mm-hmm. one. Any more trivia? Nope. That's it. I mean, there was a lot, but it was all kind of silly. <laughs> it's a silly. lot of Frank had a lot of just like doing whatever he wants. That's kind of the vibe. That's kind of like what he did as a filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, watch the last drive-in episode on this, which is you can watch the, the yeah that on Shutter. I would recommend that. Yeah. And Joe Bob has lots of stories about Hen Lauder and about you know this kind of like it's basically like it's ho- it's a horror comedy, but like this is exploitation cinema too. Uh huh. Um, it's like right on that line. So a fascinating, fascinating world that we almost never get into on this podcast. Right. So nice to take a moment with it now. Are you ready to rip your brain out through your through your ear? <laughs> yeah, just totally. slowly like tug at it until you gush blood. Why don't you pull up that roulette and we'll find out what our next film will be? Got it up? Yep. All right, let's spin that baby. Our next movie will be Oni Baba on Criterion Channel. Is that exciting? You? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a Japanese horror film from the sixties. Uh, has been in my watch list for a while, though I haven't gotten around to it. The poster on Real Good is fantastic. Oh, yeah? I'm really thrilled about it, yeah. I will confess that I get this mixed up with other Japanese horror films that I haven't gotten around to, so I don't really mm-hmm. know that much about this. Well, I'm excited to watch it. I don't know the difference between this, for example, and Koroneko or Kwaidan. Never heard of any of them, so I'm jumping in blind. It's a classic. It's a classic of world cinema. I love it. 1964. I'm excited. Yeah. Join us next time for Onibaba. And until then... You can check us out on our website at NowScreaming.com. And on Twitter and Facebook at NowScreaming. Be sure to give us a rating and review on whatever podcast services and talk to us on Twitter. We love it. It's one of our favorite things. Thanks, as always, to Wes Craven and to Joe Bob Briggs for introducing us to this film. Yeah, and making them bearable sometimes. And making, making, uh, adding, always adding interesting stories and context. Spice, yes. I love, and I mean, frankly, and also Zachary, like horror hosting is kind of going out of vogue. Uh, there aren't many left, maybe just yeah. Joe Bob. And it's just fun and it's good. It's great. I we actually That's so funny that you said that because I really do feel like we need more. Absolutely. It's uh, hard because people, people don't watch TV as much anymore. So it's like, you got to do it on the streaming services. Right. Thanks, Shudder. As should Shudder, should Shudder. As always, not sponsored by Shudder, but thank you, Shudder. <laughs> should Shudder start a competing show, another horror host <gasps> show? Oh my god. What if they had like five going at once? That'd be amazing, actually. I'd love that. If there was a horror host like series on Netflix, people would love it. Like, yeah. it, would, it would do so well. So well. There's a market here. Hey, Netflix. 
listen to us. You should listen to us in the last four years. All right. Until next time, everybody. Stay spooky. Stay spooky.